This is Cammie. And this is Madeline. And you're listening to the Communities That Convert podcast. Episode number 46. You know, Madeline, I have this habit of repeating myself. Yeah, sometimes things bear repeating. But only if they're really, really good. Welcome to the Communities That Convert podcast with Madeline Sklar and Cami Hoiza. In this podcast, you will learn how to build a tribe of raving fans. You will hear tips, ideas, and advice you can use right now on how to grow your own community and provide value that inspires them to take action. Are you ready to get started? This episode is brought to you by the Communities That Convert Facebook group. Come join us in our private group because it's the place where we continue the conversation from here. All you have to do is go to Facebook and look up Communities That Convert and look for the groups, or you can go directly there at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Communities That Convert. And be sure to use our secret word, action. Yeah, action. So welcome to Communities That Convert podcast. We have with us today, Tim Fargo from Social Jukebox. He is a two times Inc. 500 winner, an entrepreneur, an international speaker, and best-selling author. And besides that, he's just a great guy. Welcome, Tim, to Communities That Convert. Woohoo! Thanks for having me. Great to be on. <laughs> Absolutely. We are just glad to have you here today. And one of the first things that we want to say is we talk about you all the time on our podcast. Uh, well, not you, but your tool. <laughs> which is social jukebox. We are not talking behind your back, I promise. But we use it a lot for our podcast. Actually, it's a way we deliver the podcast all the time and all the different episodes that we have because most of the episodes we have are very evergreen. So we use your tool basically on a daily basis. So one of the things that we want to do is share with our audience some of the best practices of sharing evergreen content. And we know that you are going to be a great person to help us with that. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on and thanks for talking about Social Jukebox. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So our first question really is about what is Social Jukebox? It's kind of a softball, I guess, but I want to hear your origin story. So what is Social Jukebox and how did you get started with it? Well, Social Jukebox is a automated content delivery system, right? So essentially, it's it's like Buffer that just keeps on going. People are familiar with that tool. So your content will just keep going on and on and on. So if you've gotten to the end of it, like one of your content databases in, in our little world at Social Jukebox, it would be one of your jukeboxes. That content will keep recycling over and over again, like an hourglass that just keeps turning over. Now, how the tool got started is actually in 2013, I'd come out with a book called Alphabet Success, and I was trying to build an audience to promote that book. And I found the process of scheduling posts to go out to be the most mind-numbing thing ever. And it's such a thing that, I mean, it adds zero value to your followers or friends, you know, depending on, you know, what your community is with Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. I mean, people don't care. I mean, you, you could carve your tweet on a granite tablet and send it on horseback to be delivered by, you know, some page somewhere. The person receiving it on Twitter will have no idea that ever happened. So they don't care how it got there. So as a result, I started like looking around for a more efficient way to deliver the content. And I ended up calling my former head of IT from the company that I was on the Inc. 500 twice with, Omega, that I sold in 2003. 
and said, hey, can you build a tool for me to help me deliver my content to these social media sites? Because it's this scheduling nonsense is driving me crazy. So it started. And when I started it, it wasn't me starting. I didn't put together the tool so I could sell it. I put together the tool because, I mean, I was the only user from the beginning. But I quickly found people were much more interested in why I was posting 24 hours a day than they were my book. So being a decent entrepreneur, I was like, you know what, maybe it's time to abandon the book and try the software business. So here we are. Yeah, that's great. That's, so yeah, that's you awesome. Bought it for your, you, you built it for yourself. That's always the most interesting thing. I think sometimes when you build something for yourself and other people resonate with it, it's really cool. Well, it was great. And I mean, one of the things that was kind of the funniest when you talk about proof of concept and for people that may have an entrepreneurial bend, like, is my product good enough to put out the first version of so, uh, Social Jukebox, which was Tweet Jukebox, and the interface was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, it was like an interface only a mother could love. Um, <laughs> but it was it was built just for me, right? So, I mean, I just shared it with a few people in the beginning. And they, I mean, it had a lot of utility. It just didn't look very nice. So for people that are thinking about starting something, don't get too hung up on getting it perfect. I mean, there is a thing, such a thing as good enough when you're getting started. Absolutely. Now, I started with it when it was Tweet Jukebox, fell in love with it, loved that it was a Twitter-only tool. But over the years, you've really developed this out now. So you have other platforms it works with. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we, um, we added the other two kind of biggies in my mind, which are Facebook, of course, and LinkedIn, where most people have at least some presence, whether whether they're, I mean, almost everybody, I think, has a favorite, you know, sort of their go-to platform, you know, whether it's, the, you know, they do a lot of Facebook marketing or whether they're like really Twitter-centric. I mean, some people swear by LinkedIn. I'm not a big LinkedIn person, but I know that it's a big deal for some people. So we added those two platforms. And of course, we continue to look at other platforms to possibly add on in the future. So evergreen content, I mean, that's sort of what you have to put in this because things get turned over again, like the hourglass. It's a really good description of it. What is evergreen content in your mind? Like what kinds of content should people be sharing in this way versus content that they shouldn't be sharing in this way? Can you give us some examples? Well, I mean, like a World Cup score because World Cup's going on right now. World Cup scores are great to share live or, you know, comment on. I have a connection with Sweden because of, you know, my kids are like half Swedish. So, I mean, Sweden's actually playing South Korea right now. So that's a great thing to live tweet, right? Because, I mean, the game's happening. It's going on. Not a great thing to put in a jukebox (laughs) because in a couple months, it'll be like, yeah, we kind of know what happened with that event that happened two months ago. But there are things, whether, you know, it's a social media tip about how to, you know, maybe construct a great graphic you know, podcasts are great. Blog posts are very often great, especially if they're things about leadership or management. And I would say there's a ton of content that ends up being evergreen. I mean, even if you're a plumber and you're putting out home tips for people so that the jobs that are super easy, that aren't that challenging, you don't even really care about going out to spend like two minutes to twist a washer onto someone's like, you know, sink or something. I mean, plumbers could do YouTube videos and then deliver them you know, on Facebook and Twitter and things like that to develop kind of a social community. And those videos would be a great example even of evergreen content. So it's anything that would resonate with your audience on an ongoing basis. And I have to say that when you mentioned podcasts, I love using this tool for podcasts because we've got this, Communities That Convert, 
also have my Twitter Smarter Podcast, which you've been a guest on. And as soon as I'm done with these episodes and we have show notes, I put these into my social jukebox and, you know, I can put in there one time and let it run on autopilot. And I love that. It helps me save so much time because prior to your tool, I had to do this manually and it's very time consuming. So you've really helped me and I'm sure so many other people when it comes to that. Well, thanks. And I mean, I think, you know, one of the things for people to think about is, of course, you want to respond to trends and things like that that are going on. But there's a lot to be said for, you know, they talk about like today, everyone's their own media company. Well, media companies have an editorial calendar and you can have an editorial calendar, too. You know, you can make a decision that you're going to have certain things that you share at certain times of year. You know, if you wanted to have a, a jukebox for Black History Month, because that is something that would resonate with your audience. You could set it up and put in a date range. And every time, you know, February rolls around, it'll happen. If you wanted to have a holiday jukebox, because, you know, you have certain holiday posts and things that you would like to share. I mean, you could set up a date range and set up things like that. And I think it's really important for people to think about constructing their content and sharing their content in a way which is thought out beforehand rather than kind of on an ongoing ad hoc basis. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting. I, I want to ask a follow up to that because that was one of the questions I kind of wanted to know about was with social jukebox. You just talked about setting a date range for a specific jukebox that would be only playing during a certain time of year. Is that that's doable? That's how you can do that. Correct. Sure. Yeah, but you can't set a specific date. It has to be like a date range, right? It would be a date range. But I mean, if you wanted to do a specific date. I don't know that I've actually done that, so I don't want to say that you can do it, but I don't think it would be a matter of us, if it's not possible, just just be a matter of us adding a timestamp to that field in the jukebox. So Yeah, I was thinking a lot like, you know, if we have a weekly live thing, so I'm thinking about social media breakfast, we do once a month, we have like a, the second Friday of every month, it'd be cool to have like a couple of tweets that lead up to it that play every month on that second Friday, you know, like, Hey, we're about to start. We're going to have this really great live event, blah, blah, blah. And then coming right into it, it would, that would be really cool. You could do that with targeted posts because I mean, the two things we have, we have jukeboxes, which are more the hourglass that I talked about. And then targeted Mm -hmm. posts are more laser focused. Like you have, like, let's say you have a new podcast and you want to share that you can create a targeted post and have that share say every three days until a certain date. And then you can actually even set it up to auto transfer into your, into your kind of back catalog of podcasts. So you don't even have to touch it again. It'll automatically on that date, just cycle down there. But for what you were talking about, if you wanted something to happen every two weeks, you could set up a targeted post. And if you wanted to rotate, instead of setting it for every two weeks, you could set it for every four weeks and then would just set it on kind of um, have two posts or or how many ever you could kind of create a series of posts that would go out in kind of a rotating basis that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so is. yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of ways you can use this. That's really interesting. Yeah. So kind of tell us how does social jukebox work? Like how for people that have not been on the tool yet, can you just kind of describe how it works? Well, as I mentioned, okay, so you have these jukeboxes, which are basically little miniature databases of content and they're posting. And one of the questions I get, if people will ask me, they'll say, well, you know, will I know what's going on? And the answer to that is no. And when people kind of quiz me as to why, when I was putting content in way back when, when I was scheduling it before 
you know, tweet jukebox or any of these tools existed for me. I kind of got into the idea of uh, I was this kind of digital DJ and I was going to be deciding what post would really resonate at a certain time. And I can tell you, I was almost universally incorrect that, you know, like, oh, this this particular quote or this particular post will do really well. And sometimes it did, but very often it didn't matter. So that's how I kind of came up with the idea of, you know, it it really shouldn't matter. I mean, if you have a particular kind of content that you want to share at a certain hour of the day, then that's great. But don't get too hung up on it being a specific post. So in the jukeboxes, the content is randomly going out. And then the targeted posts are the more specific ones that I had mentioned previously, where you have something that you really want to make sure you've got a message that's going out and you've got like a greater level of control. So for people that want to like really hammer a particular message, targeted posts would be a much superior method. But for other content, the jukebox is going to put it out and you'll get some idea of, you know, when it's working and perhaps when it's not. But I think sometimes you you think you know when something's going to work or whatever, but you don't really know, to be honest, because it depends <laughs> on who it depends on who's online. And I mean, I have a post that's done that did pretty well. And then Ricky Gervais retweeted it and I got a million impressions off that one tweet. So hard you to never say. Know. You never know who's going to see it and where how it's going to hit. And, right. and that's actually kind of leads me to the next question, which is how effective is social jukebox in those posts? I mean, you can space them out. I know you can space them out differently too, right? You can choose how far apart to space them out. Is that true? You can choose how far to space them out. I mean, there's a couple of different ways to approach it. I mean, there's actually three different ways to schedule things. I mean, a lot of people use auto schedule because you just decide how many times per day you want something to post from each jukebox. Mm-hmm. And then like, let's say you have eight jukeboxes and you have, you know, four from this one, two from this one, et cetera, et cetera. So you go through and, and decide how, how often you want each of them to post. Then you can use the auto schedule and you just say create a schedule and it just does it all. And it spaces everything out so that it's equidistant and, you know, you're not going to have things posting over each other and things like that. Now, you can also schedule a jukebox. I mean, you can set a specific schedule for that jukebox and the other method, which is very pinpointed, is you can use the visual schedule, which is looks like a kind of a giant Excel spreadsheet. And you can move posts around on that for the people that really want to tweak and want to get more specific, you know, as the time slots and stuff like that. What I recommend for those people actually is to use auto schedule to create the massive schedule to start with and then go into visual schedule and goof around with like different times if you want to get a little bit more specific because it saves you the time of kind of. The auto schedule creates the kind of block of stone and then you kind of sculpt it from there in visual schedule. So there's those are the three different ways you can do it. And as to your question, though, about effectiveness and engagement, I mean, this is something that is like kind of the age old question. You know, I mean, I think it doesn't matter, but nothing matters about scheduling or whatever tool. If you have a post that's great it's going to get picked up and it's going to get shared. And if you have a post that sucks, (laughs) it's not going to go anywhere. No amount of wizardry is going to make an uninteresting piece of content resonate with people. And I think, you know, I mean, when people think about content, I mean, I think one of the things they need to think about, you have helpful content, which we, you know, a lot of us try to create. I mean, I do it for social jukebox clients. You know, you guys are doing a lot of social media content um, for people that you work with. 
But, you know, if you think back to kind of the TV stations and things, I mean, you know, shows like Friends and Seinfeld, I mean, the goal wasn't of TV channels was never to create great TV shows in and of itself. I mean, the whole idea was how do you get eyeballs? And once you have those eyeballs, have enough trust generated that those eyeballs will stick around and watch the commercials. So there's lots of different ways to skin a cat. And I think driving engagement comes from different ways, right? So you have helpful content, you know, which is one way to do things. You have just kind of general interest content, um, you know, things that people might find interesting or amusing. I mean, interesting could be just like facts or something that you share that, that might be relevant to your audience and develop some pickup. You know, other things could just be pure entertainment. You know, I mean, if you, you could set up a jukebox just to post on Saturday and it could all be cat, it could, you could post one cat picture <laughs> every Saturday with hashtag catterday. And, you know, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that's the recipe for success, but if you have an audience that relates to that and it's something that you actually care about, which I don't recommend you like deviate too far from, I mean, the key is going to be in, does your audience care about it? It doesn't have to be that I care about it. It doesn't have to be that, you know, your second cousin cares about it, but your audience needs to care about it. You know, I mean, and that's one of the things I actually, you know, I've had this discussion with somebody who I know works pretty high up in Twitter. We were talking about spam, you know, and for me, it was like fascinating that they were saying, well, this is spam and that's spam. And I said, yeah, but, you know, let's talk about Home Shopping Network. By my estimation, that whole channel is spam. <laughs> right. But it's a business. I mean, they don't exist for no reason. There are people who sit at home and call that place up and order stuff. If they didn't, I mean, they go off the air. So it's all about serving your audience. And that's the key. I mean, all my tool can do is deliver that message to the audience you have. There's some things like using hashtags, which we have like a uni universal hashtag adder that, you know, you can automatically add a hashtag to every post in a jukebox by just adding it once in options instead of adding it to every post in the jukebox which is much more efficient. So like if you wanted to kind of surf a trend, you can drive some incremental engagement. You know, you can get your post in front of a broader audience that way. But, you know, it does You always kind of go back to, you know, don't try to put lipstick on a pig. I mean, if you don't have good content, <laughs> you need to focus on that because getting a new tool ain't going to take you across the, you know, the kind of the goal line, so to speak. Yeah, that's so true. Now, Twitter has new policies in place when it comes to duplicating tweets. Does your tool violate any of these new rules? Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the new Twitter policy? Well, Twitter's had a no duplicate policy since like 2009. Right. Um, so, I mean, and to me, you know, I don't want to tempt fate, but the amount of resources that it would require for them to check every post that's coming on against everything that's been posted on your account before, you're talking about a gargantuan amount of overhead. I mean, I know how much it, like, because we run an algorithm now to make sure that people aren't duplicating content too quickly as it goes out, because we're, we're kind of enforcing a 72-hour rule. And I'm sure that if I contacted people at Twitter, they'd be like, that's absolutely forbidden, right? But I haven't heard from anybody that's having a problem my impression about these rules and what they were trying to combat is kind of the rise of fake news. And one of the things that you could see, particularly on Twitter, 
where where trends like you know pop up and you'd see a trend that was like a a six word phrase well how does a six word phrase trend you know the only way a six word phrase trends is because a bunch of people i mean i could add a wrinkle to social jukebox where you could update a thousand accounts because you'd have a shared jukebox between all 1000 accounts or 10000 accounts or 100000 accounts i mean there really isn't like a, an upper limit as long as you have the server resources. And you could automatically have that post go out to all those accounts more or less simultaneously. And that is something they specifically talked about when they were reaching out. And I'm sure it was the same for everybody that has a posting tool for Twitter. They were very keen to know how you could move content back and forth between accounts how quickly it could be shared, you know, and things like that. So my impression, and I think it's correct, was they really wanted to find a way to quelch people who are trying to make something look like it was news. Yeah. And if you can have something trend and the articles look newsworthy, I mean, you know how this works. I mean, people read the headline. They don't click on the link, you know. So if they see something and it's somewhat titillating, you know, and people have gotten very good at creating clickbait. You know, people read something and then that's a takeaway. But I think from Twitter's perspective, you don't want to be in the middle of this kind of uh, chaos, which I mean, Facebook and Twitter both have been caught up in kind of the rise of fake news and people putting out things that are just patently false and it doesn't really matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. I mean, people on all sides are doing stuff like this. And I mean, you know, our best bet is to at least have, in any event, trying to stay on that. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I, I'm pretty sure that was what they were really after was to prevent that kind of thing. And by the way, yeah, I mean, they don't like repetitive stuff, but I think at the same time, it's a little bit. I mean, if, if nobody likes your content, I mean, you won't have any followers anyhow and you'll end up going away, you know? Right. So, I mean, I mean, I do think there's going to be a higher level of enforcement and I think they'll ding things, you know, that might, like it used to be, you had to maybe wait, say six or seven hours before you could repeat a, a post. And I'm sure that's going to, that timetable is going to continue to increase. But the idea that you can never share like the same post again, I'm not saying never, and I, like I said, I don't want to tempt fate, but I don't see that happening. Yeah, and that makes sense because, I mean, there's also been a lot of like social activism and things like that where people have used these kinds of tools to attack a company oh. or attack an individual. There's a lot of like bullying too going on, not only fake news, but bullying with this kind of tactic. Sure. So I just know that from personal experience, unfortunately. But yeah, so that would be really a good, prudent way to look at this. So you know, what does make Social Jukebox stand out over similar services on the market? I know other people have now come up with this kind of service as well. Can you kind of tell us what differentiates you? Principally, that our charismatic founder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was uh, That's a good one. Good, good answer. Uh, no, um, I would actually say uh, it's interesting because I was talking to the developers about this because sometimes they're like, well, you know, we'd really like to build some like this like robust new feature. And I'm not saying, of course, we, we look at things all the time, but one of the things I'm really reluctant to do, I'd like to keep the platform somewhat simple. 
I think there's a tendency among almost all software tools to keep adding stuff until you have a product that is so complicated that you need a master's degree to turn the thing on. But I mean, even Microsoft Word, you know, I mean, if you just want to type a letter, you know, I mean, God bless them. But I mean, you they came out with like you have all this functionality and most people use like three percent of it. And the problem is it's great to add features. But at the same time, you add overhead to the process, you add complexity to the product. And as a result, very often it becomes intimidating to use it for the simple task that it was made for from the beginning. And I'm much more interested in having it be really effective at the things that it's really meant to do. And I'd even include in that because I get every now and then people go, well, why don't you have a predictive tool at best time to tweet? I'm like, look, best time to tweet is like an idiot's game because all you do is you take everyone's followers and go, hey, well, guess what? At 8 a.m. in the United States, if that's where most of your followers are from, those people are online. Wow. That's a real insight. I mean, and by the way, it's not like you're buying Super Bowl airtime. I mean, you're adding posts. So why wouldn't you post like around the clock just with the idea that maybe you'll get a great client from Malaysia? You know, maybe you'll find somebody that's really interested in what you do in New Zealand. I mean, don't be parochial and think that just because your existing audience is in a certain time zone that you should restrict yourself to that because, I mean, in the ideal world, you're not just serving who you're talking to now, you're expanding the number of people you're talking to. At least that would be kind of my key to marketing. But to just focus in on your question, I would say really our key is just keep simplifying the tool. I'm not saying take things away, but just try to make it easier and easier to use. Yeah. And that also cuts down on the amount of um, money and time and stuff you that you have to spend on customer service too, right? Because I mean, people, if you have a specific set of things that it does, you can also put that together in some kind of way of, you know, you know what the most frequently asked questions will be, you know, instead of kind of crazy questions. I don't know. Well, one of the things that, that I've talked about on a lot of kind of entrepreneurial podcasts that I've been on and people will quiz me on it because if you have a support question for social jukebox, you get me. There is no support department. And I'll have people go, well, isn't that just insane that you don't? And I like, look, if you create a support department, they will do what you've mandated them to do. They will give great support on the product, right? Very rarely are they going to try to figure out a way to eliminate their own job. And the reality is clients don't want great support. They want a product they understand. You know, and that's much more important. Like, to, like if you keep getting the same question, don't figure out a great support answer. Figure out a way to redesign the product so that the person doesn't have a question anymore. I mean, that would be kind of my mindset. And because I'm incentivized as sort of the entrepreneur, because I'm the one who's going to have to ask the questions, but I'm also the person that can affect change. So, I mean, for me, that's like a really important distinction is is making sure that you're constantly trying to eliminate the number of questions people might have about something rather than just try to find great ways to answer those questions, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's really great. You know, you're putting your, your own self out of your support business by doing that. That's great. It really does mean that the product is really changing to the needs of the customer, which is really also good for the customer. So it's good. And so I so feel like right about now, most of our listeners are going, okay, this sounds amazing. I'm sold. 
how do I get started? What does it cost? Can you kind of lay out how, how people can get started with this fabulous tool? Oh, thanks. Well, I mean, if you go to socialjukebox.com, we have a 14-day free trial and you just log in. I mean, you can, oh, you're welcome, of course, to have a sniff around before you do that, but you log in with whatever tool it is that you'd like to kind of get started with. And then you can use it for those 14 days. And I, and I really recommend people kind of dive in and give it, you know, a decent go, because I think once they do, they realize, you know, how much time it will save them. I, I, every now and then I'll get somebody who's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to keep the tools. I just, I don't have time to use it. It's like, if you don't have time to use it, it's probably exactly what you need because you're probably, one of the reasons you don't have time to use it is because you're not using it. So, but you, you know, go through the free trial. And then when that time period's up, you know, it'll automatically prompt you to subscribe. And if you wanted to beforehand, there's places on the site itself where you can click to upgrade and whatnot. And if any of the people out there are sold but have that one question, you can always reach me at tim at socialjukebox.com and I'm happy to answer anyone's questions. And as we've said, he answers those questions himself. I love that. And he does. Like when I send a question, he answers very promptly. I love that. I love the simplicity of this tool. And I so agree with you on that, Tim. I think that's so smart the way you do this. Uh, There are a lot of tools out there that just keep adding bells and whistles. So it does become very complicated. Yours is very simple to use. I love that. It saves me so much time, which then saves me money. So it is worth, for me, it is worth every penny. I am a paid customer. I talk about your tool all the time. I'm not paid to talk about it. Yeah, this, is, talk not, about, this is not a sponsored podcast. This is not a sponsored, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just love the tool and I've been using it for, for several years. You know what's funny? Let me tell you how I got started using this tool. So I have my other podcast, Twitter Smarter Podcast. And one of the questions I ask each guest is, what tools do you use? What are your favorite tools that help you with Twitter? And I kept having guest after guest after guest say, so uh, Twitter, uh, back when it was Tweet Jukebox, they said Tweet Jukebox. I must have had three guests in a row that said that. And I'm like, I've got to check this out. Like, they're all saying this is a great tool. So Tim, you had all these people that were already saying great things about you. So I had to go try it out and I fell in love with it. I'm like, this is such a valuable tool. And so I'm always singing praise wherever I go with anybody listens to me because I just think it's a tool that is worth having in your arsenal. It saves you time. It is a very beneficial tool. And it's also affordable too, I think. You know, I don't yes. know where you're at on the cost right now because it changes over time. Where are you at right now on it as of today? Uh, um, the, the entry level pricing per month is $19.99 or you can get a couple months for free if you pay for the year. It's $199.90. And that's for an account where you can link three accounts. So you could have your you know, kind of your primary Twitter account, your Facebook account, your LinkedIn account, or you, I mean, you could do three Twitter accounts if you want, you know, kind of any, you can slice and dice that any way you want. But that's where most people get started is in that package. And, you know, I I guess to your point, uh, Madeline, about it saving you money, I really want people to walk away going, yeah, I spend $19.99 a month, but it's totally worth that and a lot more. But in any event, I mean, that's where we start. And then the highest level is um, 99 a month. And that's for the ultimate package. And that includes, you know, over 100 accounts. And, you know, it's very robust. But I'd say most people are going to start with the smaller one and kind of get their feet wet there. And 
for anyone that's interested in signing up and going, well, I'm interested, but I want to make sure I get the right one from the beginning. You can start with the most basic package. And like, even if you sign up for a year, you'll get automatically credited for whatever you spend if you decide to upgrade. And you don't need to talk to anyone to do that. The system will automatically calculate that. So you don't need to worry about that. Awesome. Well, we always have a call to action in all of our episodes. So we have put together an action item for you all uh, that are listening. One of the things that will really help you with this is that you've probably already created a lot of content. Maybe you have. And if you have, we would like you to sit down and make a list of your own evergreen content that you've already made and tweet to us to tell us you've done that at CTC podcast on that hashtag so that the community can see your best content. So we want you to share it with the CTC podcast content hashtag, and we will share some of the, and Madeline and I will retweet some of the best ones from our Twitter accounts. So let's get started with figuring out that you do have the content in there. We didn't talk about so much where you find the content, but the truth is if you are a blogger or if you've written any kind of content, you can chop it up into little tweets and pieces and share it. So we want to see that content and we want to connect with it as a community so we can see your best stuff. Absolutely. And we have a conversation started over on the Facebook group. So be sure to go over to, if you have not already signed up, go to facebook.com slash groups slash communities that convert. And uh, we would love to chat with you over there. And our password to get into the group is action, of course. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and talking to us about how your tool works and sort of get people thinking about evergreen content and why it's so important for their social media strategy. Uh, I was honored to be here. Thanks so much for taking the time to have me on. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Hey, this is Madeline. And I want to let you know, you can connect with us on our website at communitiesthatconvert.com. You can get all the information in the show notes for this episode. And we also encourage you to visit us on our Twitter profiles. You can reach out to me at Madeline Sklar. That's spelled M-A-D-A-L-Y-N-S-K-L-A-R. And also to Cami. Her Twitter handle is at CamiChat, and that's spelled K-A-M-I-C-H-A-T. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening to the Communities That Convert podcast with Madeline Sklar and Cami Hoiza, where you learn how to build a tribe of raving fans. Stay in touch with Madeline and Cammie through their website at communitiesthatconvert.com. Communities That Convert.